Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Seriously, if you want to relieve stress, go to the Word of God. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's just so weird, isn't it? Do people say stuff like that? I apologize for it. Are you kidding me? Let's all do baptism. And I have a little pool here and we'll all feel nice and relaxed. That's baptism. No, baptism is a sacred Christian rite. All the various yogas are sacred Hindu rites. Wake up, America! It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go! It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio. Muchas gracias for sending questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. I don't know what the implication of this is. Probably nothing. Where are the stories, y'all? You used to send me more articles, more world event stuff. Hello, Jimmy. I could be wrong, but I'm actually complaining that people aren't doing us a favor. (laughs) They're not doing your job for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be in the repentance corner. Thank you for sending anything. Very grateful, truly. Idea at wretched.org. All right. We start out with, well, first of all, I have a question. Do you? Well, that you just put yourself right at the front of the queue. I do. Yes. Did you submit this to idea at wretched.org? I did not. You're so privileged. Okay. (laughs) We're not supposed to say that. Sorry. Do you have a refrigerator down there? Down next Next to you, because you bend over quite a bit and come up with drinks. No, I don't. I have Costco. What is this? Costco. It's this room type. It's Kirkland. This is tropical mango flavored with other natural flavors. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's just a it's just a case of beverages down there. Uh, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay. Well, Brylan has a pretty good question. He said, "How do we respond Todd to uh, abusive employers when they tend to single you out and make a spectacle out of you in front of the rest of the crew?" The uh my boss constantly uses God's name in vain. Oh, that and seems to crank up that type of language when he knows I'm around. Yeah, that's rough. I don't mind telling you, but uh, there are some leads that we have in the Bible. I'm thinking about First Peter, I do believe, chapter 2, where we hear how a slave is supposed to respond to a bad master. I think that's reasonably analogous to this scenario, an employee and a boss. Now, before I even say it so that somebody doesn't perceive that there's no permission for an individual to leave or to have redress, you most certainly can and you should if you're being treated that way. There are avenues where we can go about the business of trying to rectify bad behavior. Uh, there's There could be the HR department in the organization. If not, There are always outside organizations that deal with issues like this. There are attorneys that could be engaged. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't avail yourself of those things. I am saying that we do see in 1 Peter chapter 2 how we're supposed to respond when we're being mistreated by 
a boss. This is, oops, that's Second Peter. That would be different. That would probably be about false teachers. First Peter chapter 2, submission to master servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So somebody is saying nasty things. And Peter is calling the individual to not respond in kind, to not retaliate. Vengeance is the Lord. Our witness is at stake. This is something that helps us. I think at least it should help us as we continue to enter into an era where Christians are looked at very unfavorably. When we respond poorly, it undermines the work that God is doing. He's building his church. He is expanding his territory. And he uses bad governments, bad people, so that we would respond in such a way that causes them to ask the question, what about the hope that lies within you? What is the deal with you, the way that you're responding? That's what's at stake. And that's why it can be so helpful. You've got a bad boss. I I would suggest to you, because I bet this fellow, his boss knows that he's a Christian, There could be that spiritual dynamic going on. I'm not saying that you should get physically hurt or you should be abused. I'm just saying 1 Peter 2 says that we respond well to the harsh, for this is is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So we are encouraged to respond well to bad bosses. But then in verse 21, it says, for to this you were called this is, this is the calling of the Christian. We, sh- we have had a respite. We have had a time out in Western civilization for centuries. It's very unusual, however. We, as Christians, part of the deal is, yeah, you are going to be, you're going to be totally forgiven. You're going to be adopted into God's family, but you need to know it's going to come with some suffering. They hated our master. They're going to be annoyed with you, too. And that's exactly what verse 21 says. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, did not revile in return when he suffered. He didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, Leave it up to the Lord to deal with your boss. Go about the business of utilizing, if you see fit, the avenues that are that are still provided in our society, because even as a culture, we're not nuts about the idea of really bad bosses. And you always have the option to find other employment if it gets to that point along the way. We're called to be like Jesus because we're on the same mission. He was about the business of saving sinners. That's our mission too. That's the mission of the church. And so if you find yourself in these situations, whether it is a bad boss, whether it is a bad teacher, whether it is a bad government, take the avenues available for redress, but know that you are simply being treated the way that your Lord was treated. Actually, he was probably treated a whole lot worse. Because we are about our master's business. We do not revile in return. Please send your emails to idea at wretched.org. And sorry you're going through that. I got to tell you, though, Jimmy, Uh the nasty boss business, that would be hard. The blasphemy business that he Mm, mentioned? Yeah. Oh, 
especially if the guy's doing it because he knows it gets up your nose. Yeah, part of the uh, email, another part of the email that he, he wrote said that he has clearly presented the gospel to his boss before okay. and he has no interest in it. Yeah, well, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. Hmm. I can't tell you for sure that's what's happening with your boss, but if you've shared the gospel with him and he makes it a point to blaspheme your Lord's name, there's a pretty good chance what you said to him landed in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't mean he got saved, obviously, but it does mean he knows, and you now have your testimony at stake. It is not uncommon for guys like that to test. Okay, Mr. Christian, how do you respond when I do this? And that's what's at stake here. And I think that's how we need to view all of these current contemporary annoyances. Eternity is on the line, and we get to participate in the building of God's kingdom by how we respond to emails, please, please, idea at wretched.org. Okay, this one comes from Sebastian. He says, hey, Todd, I've heard you ask people when witnessing if they think they're a good person. How do we respond to someone who says they're a bad person? Let me know when that happens, because it hasn't happened to me yet. This, How funny is this? How many times have you gone to a restaurant, Zaxby's, Chick-fil-A, sit down, whatever it is? And by the way, have you noticed that everybody's food is shrinking? Have you? No. I hate to. But the, the prices haven't. Even Zaxby's. The food's getting smaller. It's no less delicious, but it is a wee bit smaller. How many times do you remember the person who waited on you, whether it's at the counter or at the table? We were in a restaurant. I remember we were in Egan, Minnesota, and I asked the young lady somehow right away in the conversation. It came up. She was taking our beverage orders. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Oh, no. Okay, I'll be right back with your Diet Coke. She comes back after about five minutes and said, oh, and by the way, here's your Diet Coke. And I really am a good person because everybody proclaims their own goodness with their mouth. Should it happen that somebody says they're bad? Okay, it could be because they have a big nasty that they're feeling really terrible about. You 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 can address that, but expand that. Because they probably think they're bad. They, that thing they did was bad. But they themselves are not bad because we're all lovers of self. We all give ourselves a pass. You can use the laws to help them understand their total depravity, not just being sinful in one regard, but totally sinful. Because they need to understand, well, I've got a little bit of a bad mark on my record. No, you're you're a bad person and the law brings about that knowledge so even if somebody does say it i say dive in a little deeper and probe with the law this is wretched radio So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare? 
Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating, 400,000 members strong sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month, and 98% of the members of MediShare, give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Get ready, because we are finally less than a month away from the debut of Transformed, our latest TV offering, which will be like nothing else seen on Christian TV. With Transformed, you will be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions that tackle issues like anxiety, OCD, depression, phobias, and trauma. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions. You won't see a secular counseling session offering band-aids like medication or years of weekly visits, but you will see a biblical counselor providing biblical solutions that will help to solve a person's issues with the Bible. Biblical counseling is the only counseling that can provide real hope and help a person go from brokenness to wholeness. Hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford, an assistant professor of biblical counseling at the Masters University, and Dale Johnson, the executive director of the Association of Biblical Counselors. Transformed, coming April 1st. Permit me to introduce you to Bree and Salvation Dominoes. Preborn style. When one person gets saved, they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them. And then it's just this domino effect. Bree currently volunteers at a preborn life center. How did she get saved? From a friend whose mother got saved at, you guessed it, a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. Books of the Bible John, the beloved disciple, author of the Gospel of John and Revelation, also wrote three epistles. In this first epistle of John, the apostle has one main concern, that we may know if we have eternal life and if our faith is genuine faith. If you want to know that you have eternal life, Turn to 1 John and see what he has written for you. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Thank you for sending just about anything to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio, whether it's a question, comment, whatever, or a sermon, or a story, or an article, the local newspaper. If you think it's wretched, we're grateful. You send it to idea at wretched. Org. Okay, this one comes from William. Todd, is gambling with fake money a sin? <laughs> My answer is annoying even to me. I, I'm sorry. I think, was it yesterday? We I, I mentioned two different subjects. I believe it was worship music and I believe it was tithing, which are two of the subjects assigned to me for Wretched Worldview 2, which we're going to film in just a couple of weeks with Dr. Nathan Boosnitz when he's in town. Grateful for him and for his willingness to come and do that 
Apparently, he didn't do his research well. Nevertheless, I was I was assigned tithing, music, a bunch of other subjects, but also gambling. And so, sorry, but I've actually been studying the subject. Doesn't mean that I know everything there is to know about it, but I do know this, that when we do not see a clear Bible verse that tells us do not gamble or do not fill in the blank, we got to approach it with caution, even if we're not nuts about what the particular issue is. Does that mean the Bible says nothing about gambling? Well, some would say casting lots is gambling. That, that wasn't gambling. That's just, that was not gambling because there's money involved with gambling. And we don't see anything in the Bible that I could find anyway that says thou shalt not gamble. But I do see verses that warn us, be careful of get rich quick schemes. Be careful about being a lover of money. Be careful that you're not relying on money more than you're relying on God. Make sure that you're stewarding your time well. Don't forget about your testimony. What does the world have to say? Could this money be stewarded better by using it differently? So I see all of those verses that go, huh. Now the question is, do I... Do I try to discern any variances in gambling before I make a a blanket condemnation or give a blanket pass? I think we need to. I, I, I do think that we need to, because I do also see, I think a response from somebody who likes to gamble is, well, wait a second. Don't you ever use your money on entertainment? And I think that's a actually pretty powerful argument. So let's engage it for a second. Yes, we do. But at the same time, I want to run that entertainment through the exact same filters and maybe even more. So let's just playing tennis. You spend money on gear. You could you could work through it. And, hey, I amortize this over five years. It really isn't that expensive. It, it's not a hardship. I'm still giving as much as I can to my church. So you can you can work through that and justify that you still need to take a look at the attitude of, that we have about gambling the covetous aspect of it, that if you're just losing large sums of money, it's like, oof, maybe your family has needs. The kingdom certainly does. Is that the wisest? So I, I think that there is a comparison that can be made. And I do think that there are times when non-gambling entertainment should be disqualified or if you're doing it too much. So I think that we should take a look at gambling and recognize there's Vegas gambling. There's some of these sports gambling things. There's you've got to consider how much money somebody actually owns. And I think that you need to consider the risk that is involved. We shouldn't be doing risky things with money. So what about play money? What about your your you like to play poker and you do it for matchsticks? I think that that's fine. I think it gives it a competitive edge. I get that because it's it's about winning and there's nothing wrong with that. Winning and losing as long as you're playing by the rules isn't something to be avoided by a Christian. We can embrace that. Let's say it's a nickel. Hey, I'll bet you a nickel that Jimmy's going to bust my chops about drinking a Kirkland Tropical Mango flavored with other natural flavors. <laughs> All right, let's say that I win because I did. I'd give you a nick. Is that gambling? I don't 
really think that that qualifies. So consider what it is that you're doing. Consider your testimony, all of the aforementioned answers. And then I think what we're going to see are different Christians making different decisions. I also, oh, by the way, is this good for our society? I do need to consider other people. Paging the lottery, anyone? Who tends to buy the most tickets? People who can't afford them. Because there's a covetous aspect of it. It's a get-rich-quick scheme. But it also preys on people. So if your gambling is contributing to the tearing down of society or families, you got to that deal. So ask yourself all of those questions, make a decision. And if somebody in your church disagrees with you, I don't think this is a reason to leave your church. Jimmy? Well, I have a question. Um, Could, and, and I don't disagree with you, but could that start to desensitize a person to actual using actual money sure, over time. Sure. Yeah, I think those are all things that that need to be considered. Mm-hmm. And because remember the premise of this is the Bible doesn't give us the explicit Now if you said to me murder, should a Christian murder? Well, no. Because here's the verses that tell us no. We, we don't see that with gambling, so we need to use the implicit verses that inform the scenario, recognizing that even though I have a pretty strong conviction about it, I can't impose my, my, my belief on a subject that isn't clearly articulated. Romans 14, it's a chapter that helps us to, to get along. I would say this, though. You take a look at gambling in the casinos. Yeah, you get those. If somebody's got to win, yeah, okay, so you see those stories. Uh, but do you see the other stories where it's like they didn't have food that night, the devastation, the unemployment, the just the, the lifestyle that that tends to attract? was also reading about the theater in, in context with gambling, just amusements and entertainments. Wow. The early church, I think it was Cyprian of Alexander, Tertullian, Augustine, all of them talking about the theater. Run for your life. Don't go to the theater. Now, you have to remember theater then could be pretty nasty and violent. And so it was slightly different theater. But tell me that we don't have that in our movie houses. The movies that we see full of violence and all kinds of bad stuff. The Puritans spent 40 years. There was a playhouse in England. They spent 40 years working to get that thing shut down when the Puritans finally ascended to power in 16, uh, 39, maybe through 41, uh, through very, very brief time. They shut it down because they saw that's just bad for society. It attracts certain people. It is an environment that isn't good for people. Now, isn't it interesting that we don't even think twice about it? We breathe our cultural air. We think, well, that's so, you know, puritanical. Well, they had a different different outlook on it. They were willing as a society to say, this is just bad for people. I know everybody wants it, but it's just bad for people. So we're going to prohibit it because of human flourishing. We don't even think like that today. And I know that gets abused and there's totalitarian regimes that do that and it feels very heavy. I get all of that, but that's only because of the era that we live in. Studying history is a tricky business. 
Because if we're not careful, we will become chronological snobs in a heartbeat. Do you believe they shut down a theater? They did Shakespeare in there. Yeah, and they would say, hey, did you read Shakespeare? Look at the premise of this. Look at the plot and that. The murder, the intrigue, the, 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 the sexual nature of it, the double entendres. Shut it down. And we think, oh, oh, well, they came from a different context. And you can apply that to virtually every single institution, government forms, media entertainment, economic systems, all of it. We just need to be a little bit more thoughtful when we go back in history to ask the question, all right, these people were building bridges, pyramids, roads. They understand pretty much all the math theorems, pretty much done (laughs) and figured out. So they weren't all idiots. So now how do I view these people in context of the historical moment that they lived in to try to understand, well, why did they think that way? Why why did they, for instance, male landowners are the only ones who could vote. Oh, what? Okay, well, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I am saying that back then they would say, well, there's a reason for that. People who own land have demonstrated a particular set of skills, They have a vested interest and they will vote policies that help more people become landowners. And if we let people who don't, they're going to have a different set of interests and they're going to vote in a different direction. Okay, you might think that that's crazy today and you can disagree with it and we can make advancements as a culture, but we don't want to look back at those people with an anachronological... with time snobbery. Anachronology. Don't be a historical snob. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Do you remember Jesse Smollett? He's the shameful former actor who lied about being attacked in Chicago in 2019. Yesterday, Smollett was sentenced to 150 days in county jail and ordered to pay $130,000 in restitution to the Chicago Police Department for the wasted overtime that was spent investigating this hate crime hoax. Five months in county lockup seems like a slap on the wrist to me, but it's certainly in line with the times we're living in. A recent statement that was said to come from the LGBT employees of Pixar revealed that apparently Disney Brass has demanded cuts of every overtly gay affection that's come from the animation studio over the years. Which means Pixar's animators have been trying to get LGBT romance into the children's films they create for a very long time. Makes you wonder just how much longer Disney will continue to forbid this type of thing. I mean, they've made leaps and strides into the way of the woke the last few years, so it likely won't be long. Oh, and speaking of that Disney brass, Disney CEO Bob Chappick is speaking up and speaking out against the most egregious and hateful thing to ever happen in the state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis passed a law earlier this week that protects four to eight-year-olds. The nerve of him. Chappick has called the governor and expressed his disappointment in the bill that prevents teachers from teaching sexual topics to kindergarten through third graders. Chappick reportedly told the governor that Disney, a corporation that caters 
to children will sign a statement opposing the legislation, I guess because Disney is apparently okay with four-year-olds being taught sexual things. Oh, the cancel culture vultures are out in full swing, suggesting some of the weirdest stuff recently. The Wales Philharmonic Orchestra washed its hands of the 1812 Overture and all things Tchaikovsky because, well, he was Russian. And nothing screams solidarity with Ukraine more than canceling the music of a guy that died 129 years before Vladimir Putin decided to invade Ukraine. That'll show him. We're not listening to any more Tchaikovsky. Look how compassionate and trendy we are. That's the logic of the cancel culture. And speaking of the cancel culture, they seem to also have Guatemala in their sights as well. Why are people so up in arms over Guatemala? Well, Wednesday, Guatemalan President Alejandro Giamatti and the Guatemalan Congress declared Life and Family Day in the country after new legislation passed that explicitly bans same-sex marriage, prohibits the mention of LGBT equality in schools, and triples the prison sentence for anyone murdering their unborn baby. Ah, talk about complete and total misogyny and homophobia. That old country just needs to be canceled. I mean, I'm not even going to eat guacamole anymore. Take that, Guatemala. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art and science of interpreting scripture. One key principle of hermeneutics is the analogy of scripture. If God is consistent and the Bible is God's word, then the Bible is consistent. We can then use scripture to interpret scripture, understanding less clear verses in light of clear verses. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yikes! Inarticulate and wrong. A double whammy. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, I was trying to pronounce what I thought was anachronological. But yeah. I can't find that word. I can find achronological, but not anachron. Chron- and I couldn't say it either. Look, I'm going to make a confession. You didn't ask for this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because I'm carrying a burden and it's hard. Did I mention I actually had a tooth pulled I, and I've got to get a I've got to get a thingy, uh, an implant put in. Well, here's how that works. They put stuff into your jawbone in order to insert a screw, and it takes six months to heal. That means I have a hole in my mouth about the size of a fist. And so they give you something called a flipper. It's a flipper because supposedly, according to the dentist, that you play around with it with your tongue and you kind of flip it in and out because it just kind of becomes a little toy. Okay, well, I've got one. And it has this, whatever the material is, it goes up under the roof of my mouth. And sometimes it's hard to talk. (laughs) And the other hard part of my job is I have to change suits a couple times a day. (laughs) My life isn't easy. (laughs) Please send emails to idea at wretched.org. We are a soft generation. We are definitely a soft generation. Even you, country boy, you're probably softer than your dad, I'm guessing. Uh, No. mm. I just just tripped into something interesting. Take a seat on the couch. Let's talk about this. I'd rather lay down. And what about your mother? Let's talk about your mom as long as we've opened up this familial can of Yes. My mother works 15, 16, 18 hours a day sometimes. See? See, that doesn't happen nowadays. No, not not on a consistent basis. Although, I got to do a shout out. I am 
And this should it just this should encourage you because I think that there's a reputation of the younger generation that sometimes is pretty uh, negative about work ethic and how they view so many issues. Yeah, and, and some of that's true. I know that to be true, but it's, it's not across the board. We've got a very young group of people in production. Some of them can't even vote. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, maybe we should check into the child labor laws. But what I'm saying is they're, they're young down the hall. And we've been working really hard. And when I say we, I mean they have been working really hard on getting transformed. It's our new series that's going to be coming out April 1st. I am so excited about this. This is, this is groundbreaking Christian TV that shows biblical counseling, dealing with self-harm, OCD, anxiety, PTSD, all of those subjects can be handled biblically, and you will see it happen, and it's so good. And so many of the stories, oh, the stories that are coming from this. We, we did a shout-out to people, and they went through the casting process, and then we brought them in for counseling with Dr. Greg Gifford from the Master's University. Then we send them back to their local church or find them a good church where they will do 12 weeks of biblical counseling. And I was just watching several of these and i was like uh it just hmm. i don't think that they followed up with counseling i don't think they made any progress with that and i've been getting emails from the production production department here saying oh guess what she's going to church and she's in biblical she even sent in a video and she's doing great and her like her eyes are alive and she's happy. And it's, that's been happening over and over again. It is so exciting. And we've got to get it done within the next few days. <laughs> and it's a lot of work. And the crew down the hall, they've been staying late. I mean late. Rebecca has been here so much, working very late. Dallas and Jake and even the crew from Wretched, has been lending a hand. It's just been great to watch a bunch of young people committed to something bigger than themselves, working hard, working sacrificially. And Jimmy, unless I'm sheltered from it, I haven't been hearing any griping down the hall either. Yeah, I don't hear it. I, and it's, oh, I gotta, I gotta stay late. And I, they're just doing it. So encouraged by it. Can't wait to show you Transformed. April 1st will be the release date. Be looking for it. It's going to be good. And then David is working on the study guide. That, too, is going to be so helpful. People are going to watch biblical counseling in Sunday school, and they'll actually get counseled themselves. So cool. More on that another time. In the meantime, you're sending emails with questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. From Alan, who has an interesting question, uh, he says, Dear Mr. Friel, who would you say are the five most significant Christian leaders in post-biblical <laughs> history? <laughs> Meaning those not named in the Bible. That's... <laughs> Well, that's interesting dinner talk. That's a long list. There are so many. And I might answer that question just a little bit differently. Because most likely, if you start taking a look, you're cataloging from, okay, first century, give it, okay, so there's Justin Martyr, there's Augustine. Okay, we could do, you could talk about going into the Reformation, the great reformers, Spurgeon, the Puritans. 20th century, we have seen a lot of great men, a lot of great men. I'm not going to pick any of them. I'm going to use my five choices for the local pastor 
of a church that doesn't make the news. These are the men who just do it. They don't have book deals. They don't get to speak at big conferences. They don't have tons of followers on the internet, but they are shepherding their sheep lovingly, patiently, long-sufferingly, oftentimes, prayerfully. Those are the guys that I like to point to and go, dad, a man, that's the bomb right there. Yeah, we could all sit down for dinner and have a chat about who is the greatest of all. Who is the biggest reformer? I think it's Luther. I think it's Calvin. Don't forget. Okay, that's cool. That's fine. Let's not forget about the local pastor. Please send your emails to idea at wretched. Org. All right. This one is from Kimberly. Todd, recently you mentioned that it's okay to celebrate Jewish festivals, but we shouldn't add things that are not found in the Bible to them. So how do you explain Christmas with its trees and lights? Yeah, that's the, the whole Christmas thing. Let's just start with, is it okay to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Yes. Yes, it is. We can agree on that. How do I know? Well, because we have festivals in the Old Testament, which basically were celebrations. They were national parties, if you will. It was vacation time. It was brilliant on God's part. It's it's amazing. You know, the festivals, having to go to Jerusalem or at least taking time off for certain festivals in addition to the Sabbath, what a kindness of God. So we see that these types of celebrations are totally acceptable do I recognize that some of these symbols that we have as a culture attached to Christmas, how are, do they have pagan roots? And the answer is, yep, yeah, yeah, I suspect some of them do. You could argue about Christi- Christmas trees because you could bring that back to Saturnalia or you could bring it to Martin Luther. R- regardless, here they are today. And they're supposed to be accouterments that do not supplant the reason for the season. They're supposed to embellish it and enhance it, and they can. We just want to make sure that that isn't the totality of our celebration. Now, how is that then different to adding to these other festivals and celebrations? What I was talking about, for instance, with Passover, with the Seder meal, we brought some some elements into that meal and I've and I've and I've even participated in those where it's like, well, that's not actually biblical. That's more historical, and we kind of like it because we think it enhances the story. Want to be really careful. The one that I think about the most is hold on. Let me just let me just adjust my flapper for this. Afi Coleman. Afi Coleman is bread. You put it. They would. It's a flat bread, and you you wrap it into a, a handkerchief. And then you hide it, and the kids have to go find it. And then they reveal the unleavened bread, like Jesus was revealed from the tomb. Um, well, no, that's that's not where that tradition started. That's not the significance of it. That's what I was what was cautioning about doing any looking back at any of the festivals. We want to make sure that Jesus is the reason we might consider doing an Old Testament festival recreation because they were pointing to Jesus. Just be careful. You don't add stuff that isn't biblical. Please send emails to idea at wretched.org. All right. From Jamie, what does the Bible say regarding wearing hats in church? 
recently witnessed a pastor lead a congregational prayer with a hat on. Yeah. Yeah, this is a contested issue simply because of 1 Corinthians and the issue of head coverings with women, with men, what's being described, is it prescribed? And we see further, by the way, the yarmulke, my understanding is it was an invention. The yarmulkes, the Jewish men covering their heads, I think like 3rd century A.D., something like that. I, I would be really, I'd be really careful to not make a law where there is no law. Culturally, we've always said it's a sign of respect. We're doing something. This conversation now changed from earthly to heavenly. Take off your hat as a sign of respect. I think that's the cultural norm. I think we're wise to follow it. Would I excommunicate somebody if they didn't? No, probably not. <laughs> Send emails to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. How would you like to be considered the second smartest person on the planet behind this guy? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But what I'm trying to say is becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner is one of the wisest decisions you'll ever make. Gospel Partners Media is a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning all financial gifts are tax deductible. But other than that, why should you consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Simple, because it's your gifts that help us create compelling gospel-centered content that reach millions of people all over the world. And we're members in good standing with the ECFA, the financial accountability folks who audit our books yearly to keep us transparent and accountable to our gospel partners. And 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. So would you prayerfully consider partnering with us at Gospel Partners Media? Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get complete details. We think it's one of the wisest investments you can make. Wretched.org slash donate. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs. $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Thanks for joining us on Wretched Radio today. Question, do you ever sit back and reflect on what your life was like 5, 10, 15, even 20 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, me neither. There's too much going on in the present to waste time reflecting on the past. And that, unfortunately, is the mindset of culture today. Of course, it's actually beneficial to reflect on the past, especially past episodes of Wretched TV and radio, which can be found organized nice and neat at Wretched.org. You'll also find over 40 amazing resources in the Wretched store, which coincidentally were all produced and written in the past. Imagine that. You can learn in the present from things produced in the past. And thanks to the ongoing support of our gospel partners, we have been able to continue talking about the greatest event that ever happened in the past, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sure would love and cherish your prayers and support as we use the things of the past to affect lives in the present and future. So if any of this made any sense to you whatsoever, visit us online right now at wretched.org donate.
Names of God We learn a lot about God from the names given to Him in Scripture. One name is Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord of our righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 tells us that God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh boy! This is Wretched Radio. That's the number of the old toll free. Grateful if you'd leave a message for Beep Talk at one 282 beep Jimmy. Yes. I have the definition. Now, I did a lot of research on this on the Afi Coleman. By the way, since when does Google spell check you? I was trying to type in Afi Komen, and it kept saying, no, you want African. No, (laughs) I want Afi Komen. Here's the description, and this is used now when some churches will do a Passover recreation of Seder meal, and they will use the Afi Komen, and they will say that's like Jesus in some way. And and I just, I, I don't think that's what it was originally intended to be. And I don't think we should use object lessons like that that go beyond the original intention. For instance, on the Passover Seder, you have different foods and there were different symbols to them. And those are valid because the Bible says so. Eating bitter things because of the bitterness of being in bondage. Afikomen doesn't have that. Based on the Greek epikomen, which means That which comes after or dessert, a word originally having the connotation of refreshments eaten after the meal is now almost strictly associated with the half piece of matzah, which is broken in two during the early stages of the Passover Seder and set aside to be eaten as a dessert after the meal. Furthermore, based on the Mishnah, the afikomen is a substitute for the Passover sacrifice, which was the last thing eaten at the Passover Seder during First and Second Temple Israel and during the periods of the tabernacle. The Talmud states that it is forbidden to have any other food after the afikomen so that the taste of the matzah that it was eaten after the meal remains in the participant's mouth. Since the destruction of the temple, Jews eat a piece of matzah now known as afikomen to finish the Passover Seder meal. Now you're up to speed on Afi Komen. There was a there was a thing on PBS, I think. They were doing a special on a company that makes matzah in New York. And they'd been there for a hundred years, and it was a horrible configuration for contemporary equipment. They couldn't take the stuff out. It was too big. They couldn't get stuff in because it was too small. So they always have to repair it. And they they I can't remember the name of the company, but they make matzah. And they just followed. It was a family business, a generational thing. And the people who made a lot of sacrifices to make flatbread for Jewish people. And then they had to move to New Jersey. Finally, I hate to admit it, but I found it fascinating. Why can't we just have more stories like that where you just learn about something? Because on the other hand, was watching the Buddhist channel. I'm sorry, PBS again. They were I'm flipping by. And on the we've got two PBS channels. I don't know how this works. It's, it must be national and and Georgia public broadcasting GPB. But anyway, I'm I'm, on the, I'm flipping by the one and it says the Buddha. Okay, I'm going to stop on that. So I stop and watch it. Oh wow, was it a 
wonderful treatment of Buddha. And he did this, then he did that, and he became enlightened, then he taught his disciples, and he was connected to the divine, and he taught us the inner, and it's like, if I didn't know better, PBS, I'd say, you're promoting Buddhism. I do know better. They are. They love the Eastern glop. You will never see anything Christian on PBS that isn't critical, that doesn't have different perspective. Well, there are people who use the Bible to tell us that Jesus resurrected from the dead. But, you know, the Bible's got all kinds of mistakes. Well, none of that with the Buddha. Then I'm clicking the channel to the next. And guess what? I run into the other PBS deal. Guess who was on that particular channel talking about mindfulness and being connected to the great divine nothingness? And that as we look at the world religions, they, they're all seeking inner peace. That wasn't my flapper. That was Deepak Chopra. And it was a total pitch for whatever glop Deepak has concocted. He is an old country buffet Eastern religion guru. He takes everything. My favorite part of it, I could only watch it for like a minute. There's a saying that goes, and it was a Bible verse, and it was quoting Jesus. Well, I would, I would, I would be inclined to simplify it and put it this way. And he just mangled it to pieces. Duh! And was anybody contesting Deepak? No. Was anybody contesting the tale of the Buddha? Which, by the way, for those people who think that the Bible isn't well attested, <laughs> go knocking on the Buddhist door. Because let me tell you, they have a very hard time saying, yeah, we've got actual manuscripts. This is how many we have. This is how close they are to the date. Their authentication in Buddhism and Hinduism, oh, wow. Isn't it interesting, though, that so many people just go after Jesus Christ and Christianity instead of after Buddhism? Here we go. One, seven, seven, two, eight, two, I have a quick question for you. I was reading in Leviticus where it says that when they burnt the offering, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, we know that God doesn't really have a nose, but what does that mean exactly when it says it's a sweet aroma to the Lord? That is an anthropomorphism, that it's pleasing to God. It's a way of saying that, that what they are doing pleases him. Please also note that God describes that the sacrifices of people whose hearts were far from him were a stench in his nostrils. Now, was it like, oh, pew, that that meat used to smell good. Now it smells terrible. No, it was an anthropomorphism, God's way of saying, I'm pleased with it or I'm not pleased with it. One eight seven seven two eight two. My wife and I are looking at becoming members of a local Baptist church here. Should we align with everything as outlined in the church's constitution before becoming members? So is there room to have any sort of disagreement on secondary issues? On two levels, I would say yes, maybe. <laughs> First of all, depends on what the issue is. Second of all, I think it depends on what your options are. I think it's ideal. And, and, and this is very difficult to achieve, but I think it's ideal that you go to a church where it's like, yeah, we're lockstep. I am, I am Justin Timberlake. I am totally in sync with what they teach there. That's ideal. 
you might not find that. So what do you do? It depends on what your options are. Find the one that most closely aligns to your preference issues. Obviously, the essentials need to be in place. And then join that church. Just let them know, hey, there's, you know, this this thing about fill in the blank. I got a different take on that. Are we going to be is are we cool with that? Because I, I don't want to say that I adhere to everything in these documents. Can can Are you comfortable with making an exception for that? And I think that there should be room for that depending on what the issue is. one 282 I find flaws with Arminianism and Calvinism. And I was wondering if there's an in-between theology <laughs> a calvinium <laughs> i guess is what you'd be here is what i think is one of the most helpful ways to deal with the issues that are resent, represented by those two corners of christianity you've got free will issue on the one hand with arminianism and then you've got sovereignty and predestination i'm simplifying on the other hand with christianity or with with calvinism rather it was years ago, John MacArthur speaking at an event in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I think it was very helpful. He just said, look, you, you've just got to recognize that they both that, that there's an issue of genuine responsibility, not free will so much, but genuine responsibility and God's sovereignty over every molecule in the universe. There it is. And he used a number of examples who wrote the Bible. And some people yelled out, well, the apostle, oh, no, the Holy Spirit. Right. It was both. Who's responsible for your sanctification? Well, I, no, the Holy, mm, it's both. Does that, does that mean they're antithetical and they cancel each other out? It's, it's the law of non-contradiction being violated? No, it's the way that God presents things that are difficult sometimes for us to grasp, but they aren't difficult for him. And so we live with that, recognizing that tension. We submit to the Bible, and I almost think some of that is by design, that even though there can be things in our Bibles that are like, ooh, that one, that's, that's a tough deal. Even with a good explanation of evil, it's like, ooh, this, this subject, ooh, this is a tough thing. When we bow, I think that that is a sweet aroma to God. See what I did there, Jimmy? I just tied together two beep talks right there. I think it's well-pleasing to God we can sometimes live with a tension in our mind that clearly doesn't exist in the mind of God. So the way that I see it is, yeah, God is sovereign over everything, including salvation. And human beings have genuine responsibility. Now, I know where that all the rabbit trails go. I know, been there, done that, happy to do that. But at the end of the day, that's what we're left with. God is sovereign and you're responsible. So my encouragement to you is if you've never repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will be held accountable for your sins. Accept its terms of peace. Today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.